fall. I'm so, uh, boy, I'm so kind of upside down here in San Francisco with the weather. But it is good to see you guys. We thank God that some of the smoke is cleared. We thank God that, uh, and we're going to pray in a special way in just a bit for the fires right now. But uh, I hope you've been okay this week. Uh, be praying for each other. Be praying for everything going on uh, out there in our state. Uh, but for today, we get to worship. We get to enjoy ourselves. So if you're visiting with us, thank you for coming, you guys. Um, in front of you, in the pew, there should be a Connect card. Man, we'd love it if you fill that guy out just as much as you're comfortable with. And uh, right after our gathering here on the other side of that wall, there's a couple of nice tables and some really nice people. If you give them that card, they'll give you a free book. It's just our way of saying thank you for visiting. Uh, one of Francis Chan's book. And uh, man, just write down any questions you may have about Christianity, about the church, what we're doing here. We are in a new season and we're excited. We'd love to share that with you. But thank you so much for visiting. We hope it's an amazing experience. Uh, this morning and uh, man you know I get here pretty early on Sunday mornings and uh, about 1045 ish I'm just seeing how you're doing this morning I'm seeing now I get here earlier than that but I just want to I want to thank I want to thank you guys uh, in particular those of you who are able to come here super early in the morning and help out people like Warren uh, people like Jorge you probably don't some of you don't even know who these people are uh, but very early in the morning I'm like I'm <laughs> I should be helping but I'm watching these guys praising Jesus is terrible but I'm, I'm looking out the glass here and I'm watching these guys clean up our stairs and and uh, you never know it man they just they just do their thing but I want to I want to give it up real quick for just so many people who do such a great job <clears throat> And I mean that because, I, like, seriously, I was watching them, and I'm, like, tearing up. And then I'm thinking, like, why aren't you out there helping them? Um, but I was just blown away. Like, Jesus is looking down, and he's just smiling on these guys. And, and uh, I know I'm missing a lot of people, and so many of you guys do a great job all week working here and volunteering here. But I, I just want to tell you thank you. And when you see these people as you're going around, man, introduce yourself, shake their hand, and tell them thank you. It's really amazing stuff uh, that goes on. And speaking of amazing stuff, we had an amazing young adults community group last Thursday. Um, it was our first one with this relaunch. We took a big break uh, for the summer, but we had a great group there and uh, super excited about that. Several of you have emailed me about information about that. Um, some of you have asked what the ages are for that. I have no idea. Just come. We'll have a great time. Um, but you can email us. There's an email address in the bulletin, and we'll get back to you with the info. But uh, we'll be continuing that uh, this Thursday. It was just a really special time, as well as so many other different ministries uh, going on all week. Um, we do have our Christmas of Love celebration we're planning right now. You guys pumped for Christmas? <clears throat> Man, I'm so excited for Christmas. Um, I, I told you guys last week, I get ready about June for Christmas. This is a, this is a very long journey for me. Uh, but we're going to throw a party, and I mean that. We're just going to throw a big party at the end of the year. I think it's, uh, I think it's December 9th. Uh, but it's probably in your bulletin. Uh, but if you want to be a part of that, we're going to do a lot with the arts. So if you, uh, if you do spoken word or poetry or you paint or you do music or something that I've never even thought of, something outside the box, uh, we want to be a church that celebrates the arts. And we're going to come together on that night in December and celebrate a great year and uh, just come together with a theme of love as we go into a new year. And we want to do a lot of crazy, artistic, beautiful stuff. We already have 25 people ready to go for that, you guys. I thought, man, it would be awesome if we got like a 10-person core team. So we have like 25 people already. We also have our Harvest Fair coming up. We need a lot more candy. Um, how many of you guys would love to bring a bag of candy for me? 
not the kids for me. No, I bring it for the kids. Uh, on Halloween night, we do a, a, a really cool thing downstairs for kids in the Mission District. We have a lot of kids that come through here, but we need a lot of candy. And if you want to be involved with that, if you have a passion for kids or a passion for our neighborhood, um, sign up. That sign-up sheet is out on our info desk. Our Christmas party sign-up sheet uh, is on the info desk as well if you want to be a part of that. So all kinds of ways to get plugged in. Um, our community group on Thursday night, we got some groups that meet Sunday mornings as well. Um, awesome, awesome stuff. And uh, how many of you guys were here last week? How many of you were not here last week? No, don't. <laughs> that's that's cold-blooded. Uh, but make sure you're praying for these things that that we uh, ended our sermon with last week. I was going to throw a slide up I, uh, to remind us of the things that we had. I messed that up. But just be praying. We, we threw down a 21-day prayer challenge. We want our church individually praying for 21 days. They say that's the time it takes to create great habits. And then we want to come together and pray as a church. And I want you praying over those things that we listed last week. Listen to the sermon uh, through our podcast. Um, and we got, we got a lot more prayer requests. We got a lot of prayers uh, that we need to pray for housing right now, for jobs, for the stuff going on in our, in our uh, state with the fires. But be praying, guys. Let's continue to be a praying church. But let's pray for God's power. Let's pray for new people as God is already blessing that greatly. Uh, and we're going to see some beautiful stuff happen. Right after our gathering as well, we want to uh, we want to hang out. We want to get to know people. So what we try to do is we try to have lunch right here on our plaza. It looks like the air quality is good enough to maybe hang out uh, out there or right there in our lobby, our nar narthex. Um, so if you want to hang out, you want to get to know some people, uh, my wife kind of puts that together. Uh, find her, and uh, we'll have lunch again right after our service today. Super cool stuff. I want to jump into this new series, guys. I'm super excited. We're talking about uh, spiritual warfare. We'll be doing this for probably three weeks. Uh, I thought it was fitting going into Halloween and, and all the questions we're getting. But I want us to bow our heads and I want us to have a special time of prayer uh, for everything going on with the fires um, in our state right now and how much it's been impacting people. I just read a story this morning of a young lady who was down at the Las Vegas shooting um, she miraculously gets out of that situation and her house was burned down in the fires. And you're just like, man. And uh, I was complaining about stuff this morning in my own mind, you know, and you just think to yourself, man, there's some people going through a lot of stuff right now. We want to be on our knees praying for these people. Um, David Kermsey, one of our elders, uh, sent out a great email to John and I, and, and he, uh, he said, uh, we should be a hub for emergencies, for the city. And if you have any ideas, guys, that's manageable. We're, we're helping in so many different ways in so many different areas in our city. I don't want to overload our church, but if you know of ways that we can even help with fire, uh, victims of the fire here as a church, um, that's not going to overload us, but that's manageable and that you'd be willing to help out with, I would love to talk to you. Send me an email, uh, write me a note, something like that. But let's be a church that's for our city and that's for human beings. Uh, and help these people out. But I want us to bow our heads together, and I want us to, to pray to the Lord God together concerning these fires. Uh, Father God, we, we just pray for mercy right now. We pray for all the firefighters, and we pray for all the volunteers right now. We pray that you'd put a, a, a real supernatural hedge of protection wherever they're at right now. They are, they are in neighborhoods right now. They are in forests right now. They are in hills right now. 
and they are laboring with sweat and fear to try to stop this fire. And we just pray, Lord God, that you'd keep them safe. And we pray, Lord God, for those who have lost unimaginable things, that you would somehow, like you, you do so well, that you would work through the pain and that you would draw good out of the pain and that you would bring them to a place to where they can deal with this and have a, a peace that passes all understanding. And Father, even, even if it takes this to bring someone to the, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, I just pray that you would do something. Pain without purpose is pointless, it's useless, it's tragic. But Father, when you inject purpose and pain, it's progress. It's awakening. It's eye-opening. And so we pray, Father, that you do a miraculous work in our state right now. And that you would, uh, you would move people into these areas. And Father, if Bethel could be a, a lighthouse in some way, if we could use our resources, help us not to just go home and not just to be comfortable in Zion, but to be truly brokenhearted and burdened to be, to be the answer to our prayers. Father, help us to be the miracle. Help us to answer our own prayers. Help us to be the healing hands and help us to be on our knees, not only for, for the fire victims or for our city and for our world. We want to see you move and we believe that you will move. We've seen it. And so we ask, Father, with our, our hearts bent low, we ask that we'd see it again and again and again. Put these fires out and heal our land. In Jesus' name we pray in a covenant of blood because of the cross, because he's made it, he's made it real, he's made it available, he's made access to your miraculous heart, God. So through Jesus' name we pray these things. Break into our world. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We are, we're starting a new journey, and there's so much purpose behind this, uh, this new journey. Uh, and I'll tell you a little bit about it, man. Just This has got to be the craziest time of my life. Probably the peak amount of miraculous blessings I've ever experienced, <laughs> but probably the peak of strangeness I've ever experienced as well. And uh, we've been in California for almost 10 years now. And uh, uh, I'm from Seattle. Seattle's kind of a crazy city. When I moved to California, I thought, okay, that's kind of a crazy state. And then from SAC, when I thought God was moving us to San Francisco, I thought, okay, San Francisco's a crazy city. But I've experienced some crazy stuff. And I'm not talking about nude bike rides. <laughs> Although that's pretty crazy. I'm talking about some really, really unique stuff that's been going on in my life. Uh, and, and, you know, when you, when you start to think that strange things are happening in your life, the first thing you ask yourself is like, am I losing it? 
Like, what is going on here? Like, maybe I'm just imagining things. But then, like, there's always these themes that crop up in churches. So then I get some wonderful people right here. We're sitting right here. You know, you guys start calling me or texting me like, John, we got to talk. Like, this thing happened to me. Like, am I going crazy? And pretty soon you start seeing this, this theme connect over and over again. And, and that's typically when I see the Holy Spirit saying, John, I'm the Lord of the church, and I need you to speak on this. And so we just, we finished this vision series, guys. And if you missed any piece of it, go back to our website and listen to all of it. You need to be in a rhythm if you call Bethel your home or you're, you're exploring Bethel as your home. But we just finished this vision series. And uh, why, why a, a series on stranger things? Uh, why a series on this unseen world? Well, look at Ephesians chapter 2. And look at verse 8. If you don't have a Bible, don't sweat it. We'll put these verses behind me. There's also a Bible in the pew in front of you. There's an index in the front of your Bible, so you can find this, this little book called Ephesians. It's a letter. But I want to show you something. <clears throat> and let me preface like, like this, you guys. So many of you have called me in the last six or eight weeks and said, you know, can we talk? These things are happening to me. And uh, you have said to me, am I doing something wrong because I feel like there's a resistance happening and like, you know, things have been going so well. Now, sometimes, and I would even say most of the time, if you're growing in Jesus and all of a sudden maybe there's this weird resistance or you're getting some things like wrestling in your mind, that may mean that you're doing everything right. And let me show you what I mean. And I'm not going to classify everybody's journey or everybody's struggle in this, but I want you to know that as God continues to bless this church and great things have been happening, we are going to experience some resistance. Not everybody's happy about what God's doing here. So in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, look at verse 8. Here's what Paul says. Like, you are a miracle if you're a Christian. I mean, you're a miracle if you're a human being. But you're a miracle if you're a Christian, and here's why. Because Paul, Paul's like summarizing what's happened to you in Jesus. He goes like this, for by grace you've been saved. Like you're a child of God, not because you're good. Man, I better get like 50 amens. That, that means, hey, I agree with you, Pastor. You're not a child of God because you're good. You're a child of God because Jesus is good. Jesus was really good for us. Like there's no amount we could ever do to reach God's standard because God's standard is what? Is perfection. And I don't know about you, but <laughs> I'm not even close. And so God comes up with this amazing plan to say, look, I want you, I want you. I want you to worship me and I want to give you a new life, but we've got this problem. It's this thing that, that we call sin. It just means that you're, you're falling short of my, my design down there, you humans are. You're falling short of what it looks to love. You're falling short of what it looks like to forgive each other. You're falling short um, because you're, you're full of anger and hate down there. But I want you back. I want you. And so I'm going to send my son, and he's going to live the life you, you could never live. He's going to be perfect for you because you never could get there. And he's going to die on the cross, and he's not, he's not only going to live a perfect life for you, he's going he's to pay every ounce of the penalty that you, you gained by, by falling short of my ways. And he's going to wipe the slate clean. He's going to die on the cross for you. And he's going to 
He's going to be raised from the dead, and he's going to come back, and he's going to dwell with me in heaven. And we're, and we're going to build a bridge between you and me through Jesus. And, and if you believe, it's just believing. It's, it's by faith. It's by believing that Jesus died for you, and Jesus was perfect for you, that you can restore a relationship with me and dance with me and feel joy in life again. It's, it's not by how good you are down there. You can't give enough money. You can't, you can't follow the Ten Commandments close enough. None of that works. It's by believing in Jesus. That's what we call the gospel, and it's good news. That's what the gospel means, good news. And it's good news because there's no way I would ever find my way back to God if it was up to my performance. So he goes like this. For by grace, by undeserved love, you have been saved through faith, by believing in Jesus. And then he goes like this, and this is not your own doing. Thank God. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Like God loves you, and so he laid out this plan. Jesus loves you, and so Jesus was willing to go to the cross to come back to God so you could be God's child again. And then he he reiterates in verse 9, not as a result of works, now, why? Why would God come up with that plan? So that no one may boast. So, so John Maroos can't say, dude, I'm pretty awesome. And like God calls me his kid because I'm pretty awesome. No, he's like, God's like, I'm pretty awesome, John. And I want you to find joy in pointing everybody to me. Because when you point all praise to me, I fulfill you. So I'll fix this thing called you. <laughs> I'll save you through my son. And you just boast to me. You just point everyone to me and say, this God's amazing. Like, this God has transformed my life. This God. No, 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 no. I didn't go from the street to this because I cleaned it up. I came dirty to Jesus, and Jesus cleaned me up. He saved me through grace. Amen? We should just pray right there and end the service. But no, 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 there's more. (laughs) like that's pretty awesome and and maybe you have a different view of God maybe you were taught differently or maybe you're from another religion Uh, we've got several people exploring the Christian faith in our church right now Uh, they're from different religious backgrounds and uh, the whole thing busted on them and they're like who is God this is God this is God and look what he does in verse 10 this is one of our verses that we keep talking about in this church for we are his workmanship verse 10 we are his poem. We are his painting. We are his canvas. In other words, he's like, all that you were that was so broken, I've saved you. And now I want to turn you into something beautiful. In other words, God's kids are getting strong. God's kids are getting beautiful. For we are his poem. We are his painting. Oh yeah, we're not finished. And there's, there's a couple of areas in the painting that don't look too good. They're smudged. But God's cleaning the whole thing up created in Christ Jesus. This was all done through Jesus. Why? For good works. Like, God doesn't only want to save us and bring us back to him in this dance, this beautiful dance, but he goes, now I'm going to set you forth in this city, and I'm going to give you a miraculous work to be involved with. I want to use you down here. I want to use you to do things you never knew you you could ever come close to. And this is the cool part, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, that we should live a lifestyle using our gifts and our abilities to do good and change this world, to get out in that city and do something powerful. Do you guys know that I failed speech class three times? 
And now I can't shut up. <laughs> what is that? Before I was ever born, before the foundation of the earth, God said, I'm going to take this kid here and I'm going, and he's, he's going to be so busted up. And through Jesus alone, I'm going, to, I'm going to save him. I'm going to build a relationship with him. And then I'm going to unloose that tongue that's so tied up in there. And he's going to proclaim my goodness for the rest of his days. Amen. He's got a good work for you. He's got a good work for you. So Paul's laying this out, and he's like, like, we're getting so excited about this. We're like, man, this is good. This Christian thing is good. But then watch what he does in Ephesians 6. Turn all the way over to Ephesians chapter 6. So it's like, okay, God has saved us, and God has, God has put something in us to be used to make a difference in this world. And we're like, yes, yes, I love this. And then he comes with this. And all of a sudden in 6.11, he goes, oh, oh, but don't forget this. Oh, yeah, you're saved. God loves you, and God's going to use you. God's going to blow your mind. God's going to take your past and all that nastiness and all those failures, and he's going to turn it into power. He's going he's to put you on a quest and a journey to help human beings, and we're just in this mode like, man, this is a dream. This is amazing, and then he goes in verse 11, chapter 6, verse 11. Oh, yeah, you better put on the whole armor of God, and you're like, whoa, 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 Paul. I don't like the end of this letter. I like the first two chapters. Put on the whole armor of God. That sounds like a fight. That sounds like a war. I thought we were Ephesians 2.10 in this thing. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil? You're like, whoa. So what are you saying, Paul? That not everybody's okay with this miraculous miracle called me? Me being saved and, and God working through me and taking my past and my story and starting a new future and transforming lives in the city of San Francisco and the East Bay and Daly City. You're telling me not everybody's happy with that? Paul's like, yeah, we're going to have some resistance. I've had a, a series of very unusual events since being in San Francisco and experiencing such a miraculous work in this church. As a matter of fact, I'll just share one of them with you when we went to Africa. I thought it was like a 20-hour plane trip that had gotten to me. But uh, we were in a very dark place in Africa. And uh, we got into this particular area. And I'm telling you, like, my thought life got so screwed up, you guys. And I'm like, maybe it's the food or the lack of water or something like that. And I, I had to actually share it with my wife, like, man, I'm just really battling some weird thoughts right now. And we start talking, and it's like, well, hello. You flew to another continent to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people in mountain villages who are embedded in a religion that's squeezing their soul. What did you think was going to happen? And I'm like, I thought it was going to be all good. I thought it was going to be smooth sailing. So I don't want to freak us out here. But between the cross of Jesus Christ and a world with an iPhone in hand, what's so weird is there is a world at work that we cannot see. Uh, let me show it to you. Second Kings chapter 6. Just go left in your Bible if you have no clue where that is. You'll run into it. 
We'll throw it on the, the LED here, but let me show you. And it's not just bad, it's good. As a matter of fact, I, uh, one of these Sundays, I just want to tell my story of how I came to Jesus. I haven't told it in a long time because I don't think anybody would believe me. I'm serious, it's not, it's not wild. But there is a world within our worlds. And it's not all bad. So much of it is glorious and beautiful. And, and I've always thought about this. You know, if, if, if everyone got a cell phone here right now? It's off, right? No, I'm playing. Think about this. What if we could see all of the, uh, what do you call those, uh, like invisible, what? Signals, whatever. What if we could see it all right now? We'd all freak out. Like you probably got like four or five lasers running through your body right now from your neighbor's phone going to a satellite or something or a tower like that. Um, and that always kind of freaked me out when, when I would hear that. But I want you to think about this. What if we could right now in this room slice through this reality and open up the spiritual realm again so we could see it? What would we see? I, I do believe, and I'll show you this at another time, I do believe that God assigns children angels right there in the scripture. And I'm just like, man, there's a spiritual world all around us. Look at 2 Kings chapter 6. And it's like every, I'll get to it in a minute, I'm just so excited. It's like every, every now and then, though, it breaks through, and you can see it. It's like every now and then, someone, like, God s slices through our reality and allows some of it to bleed in, and you, and you see it, and you're like, whoa, what was that? Like, I'm not talking about hallucinating, I'm talking about, like, real things that are happening before you. And so you see that in 2 Kings chapter 6, check this out, verse 15, um, Elisha, he's a, he's a leader. He's, he's a, a spiritual leader. He's a prophet. He's a spiritual leader for Israel. Um, a little bit like a pastor, just to kind of get your mind around that uh, today. And he's got this guy he's kind of training up next to him. And there's this, there's, this, there's this army from another country. And they're coming at this guy, Elisha, this leader. And they're going to kill Elisha. And it's Elisha and this, this young man. And Elisha's just kind of standing up on this hill like this, you know, while this army's coming. He's like, oh, let's, let's go. And this little assistant of his is standing next to him, and he's like, Elisha, what are we doing? Let's get out of here. There's an army coming in. Now watch this in verse 15. When the servant of the man of God, that's Elisha. So when the servant rose, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. So the city's surrounded. And the servant said, alas, anytime someone starts with alas, you're in trouble. Alas, my master. So he says to Elisha, this, this leader, what should we do? There's like an army around us. They're going to kill us. And Elisha just understands the game. Verse 16, he said, yeah, don't be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And this assistant, this, this young man's like, there's nobody with us. There's nobody here. Verse 17, then Elisha prayed and said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. In other words, God opened up the ability to see the spiritual realm and sure enough, there's angels, an army of angels all around Elisha. I mean, this is so amazing. Like this world exists. And guys, when we begin to see great things done by God, and, and when we begin to experience him, like I, I'm hearing you guys say over and over, like, I've never experienced God this way. 
I've never experienced God this way. When we, when we begin that journey, we have to know there's going to be resistance because there's a world we can't see. And this feels so strange just to hear these things because the West has grown so closed. Like this Western world has, has grown so closed to the supernatural. And you know, I'm not against technology, goodness, but with all the technology and everything, like we just forget that this world exists. Can I trip you out for a second? See, technology is an interesting thing. It's really conditioned the way we process. Do you guys realize gigantic, gigantic lizards ruled this world? Like I say that and you're like, what? That's not true. (laughs) See, we forget that there was a world that isn't anymore that used to be here. Like these, these things are real. That's a trip, isn't it? I mean, these bones are in museums, and it's like, it's almost hard to think, like, these guys used to roam this earth, the very earth I walk on? Well, it's the same with the spiritual worlds. Carl R. White, he's he's an author. Um, He's not a Christian. He goes like this, speaking of, of science and technology, which I believe God is the God of science and technology, by the way. I don't believe there's a schism there. But he goes like this, belief is a wonderful way to pass the time until the facts come in. In other words, religion is just fine until science came around and now we don't need religion. Now, I just have to disagree because science and technology, it's obvious it's not answering our biggest problems in this world. And there are still things that are constantly happening that we can't explain. And as a matter of fact, what you hear constantly, um, I was reading all all of these uh, um, stories of the Las Vegas Um, survivors, and I I can't tell you how many people would say true evil was here. And then they would say a miracle happened. And then most of them would say, I'm not even religious, and a miracle happened. So it's interesting that no matter what, like we always end back at that place of, of kind of a good and evil. And aren't movies so interesting? Don't movies tell what's going on in society in the human heart? We are narrative creatures. We love stories. Whether it's a hip-hop song or a country song, which is not of God. I'm working on that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's all good. But, but think about it. We love stories. That's why we love music and all this stuff. We're narrative creatures. And don't movies tell us where we're at as humans? And uh, I want to I talk about this in sermons more and more. You know, what we're seeing in movies because they're creating massive worldviews. Um, the new Star Wars is coming out in December, right? You need to go see it. And uh, I want, we'll throw this picture up. Check this out. You know who that is, right? That's Supreme Leader Snoke, right? And this imagery is even in movies to where there's this guy who's behind the scenes that no one can really see and these, these evil people are going out and trying to destroy the Jedis, blah, blah, blah. But behind the evil physical people and behind the ships and all this is this kind of spirit form, like this mastermind evil. Now go to Ephesians 6.12. Check this out. That's what Paul's saying. Like there's something happening in our world. 6.12. What's going on with my marriage? And I don't want to classify everything in this. I don't. But I want you to think. What's going on in my marriage? What's going on at my job? Um, What's going on with my mind? All these different things. He goes like this in, in 6.12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, our problems are not just physical world problems. 
He goes like this, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And that just means the atmosphere. Like he goes, there are things going on in our atmosphere. There are beings and there's stuff. And that may be, it may be why you're having the struggles you're having. Now, I want to be careful here because in Matthew 4, Jesus is said to have come to, I don't want to classify all problems in spiritual attacks because you get those people and, you know, I've had people come up to me and they're like, so you got allergies? Well, you got to cast that demon out. And I'm like, or I got allergies, you know? So I don't want to put everything under this umbrella. That's not biblical, guys, you, you know? You either get one person over here who's, who's, who's such a systematic Christian that they're like, there's a way to logically explain everything. And then you get the person over here where everything's a demon. You know, we're like the drunk man. We fall off one side of the horse. We get back on. We fall off the other side of the horse. And it's like, here's what, I, I forget the text, but in Matthew 4, here's what happens. Jesus is said to cast out demons. He is said to heal the sick. And that means any portion of the human physical side that's not in order, including the minds. You see, there, there are things going on in the mind to where physical things aren't working in certain people's minds. They're not demon-possessed. I mean, you know, certain messages are not being sent from one part of the brain to the other to tell their body to do something. It's off. And so you can't put everybody in the, in the same bubble or whatever. And so there's, there's, there's physically broken people the mind can be broken. It can be off. And that takes a different thing. There can be Christian people who are being attacked in their minds to, to think incorrectly. And there can be full-on demon possession. But Jesus puts those in three different categories. So be discerning when we deal with this stuff, you guys. So in Ephesians 6.12, what's going on there is he's just going, look, I'm just dealing with the mind part. That's all I'm dealing. And by the way, in this series, that's all I'm dealing with is, is when, when this world begins to mess with our minds. That's all I'm going to talk about. I'm not talking about how to cast out demons or anything else. We're just going to start with attacks on our minds. And there's so many beautiful things coming from the unseen world. There's so much of God in all of this and beauty. I do believe that I'm walking down Valencia with my wife and I, I just feel this welling up inside my soul and it's this love towards this lady. You know, it's so amazing. Like I do feel like there's a spiritual world, the Holy Spirit in me and God's spiritual world and angels. I believe they're working with me in my mind and they're putting thought in my mind and they're creating this love towards this woman. I believe we experience beautiful things constantly. You cannot explain to me why I can sit on the beach in Pacifica and tear up and be so blown away and feel God without telling me, yes, there's a spiritual world that you cannot see and it is full of beauty and full of God. But we also need to know about the other. And so Paul's going to help us. And as we grow together, guys, in friendship, as we see Jesus in our lives, as we're growing together, we're overcoming things in this church, as we experience miracles and answers to prayer, there's going to be resistance. And if I'm a good pastor, I'm going to lead us through it. So here are the two questions I'm going to answer super fast. If there's a spiritual world that's full of beauty, but also full of resistance, how does that resistance happen and how can we guard from it? That's it. A little intro on this series. You ready? Here we go. 
Question number one, let's let Paul answer it for us. Where does this spiritual conflict take place? There I am in Africa, I'm rolling you know, into this village, and all of a sudden, man, this, ah, oh, whoa, what is going on? And I've had several, several times in this city to where um, I've been walking at night and stuff like that, man, and I'm just like, man, something does not feel right. And I start getting, you know, weird thoughts in my head and all this, and I got to shake it off and, like, deal with it. So where does the spiritual conflict take place? I want you to write in big letters, in our minds. Why? Because the Bible says, all of life is generated from your thoughts. So look, if there's an evil presence out there, if there is indeed a devil, and by the way, the Bible says there is an uncountable amount of angels. How many is that? Okay, good. <laughs> a third of them fell. How many are here? <laughs> yeah, sleep well at night, you know. But think about it. If I have the Holy Spirit, if I have the holiness of God in me, that is so powerful and pure, it would destroy anything evil like that. The only thing that evil presence can do is mess with my mind. But that's all they need to do because my thought life drives my entire existence. So that's what Paul's going to deal with. Now he's writing to a church in this, this city called Ephesus and it's a lot like San Francisco. It was a thriving city. It was full of sophistication. It was full of technology, at least at the level that a first century city could be. But it was also the center of spiritual practices. I mean, real spiritual practices. And I've always said it since I've been here. San Francisco is one of the most spiritual cities in the world. It may not be our Holy Spirit, but it is a spiritual city. And so what Paul does is he writes to these people in this church, in the middle of this city called Ephesus. And he loves them, you guys. He's their pastor. He loves them. And he wants them to continue growing and experience Jesus. He wants them to know that Trinitarian dance of love. He wants them to be with Jesus and, and know the presence of God and just be saturated in all of that beauty. But he wanted them also to understand that there's going to be something in their lives that's going to try to stop it. That there's a, there's a presence that they can't see and it's going to try to mess with their minds. And, and you know, C.S. Lewis and his, 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 his writings on screw tape letters would be so brilliant for our church to read. Can I tell you something? These, these forces of evil, they don't want you out of church. They want you in church. They want you in church with the wrong thoughts. And so Paul's like, I love you guys too much and I want you to experience God so much that I want you to be aware. Now Paul's writing from a room and he's a, he's, he's a prisoner. I want you to get this visual in your mind. He's sitting at a desk. I don't know if he's sitting at a desk. He's sitting at a desk in my world. He's, he's on house arrest <laughs> for, for telling people about Jesus. He's sitting at a desk and uh, every six hours... A Roman guard would walk in the door. And there was always a Roman guard next to him, and they were chained together. Paul wasn't getting away. And every six hours, a Roman guard would come in, he would unlock the chain, the Roman guard sitting in the chair next to Paul would get up, he would leave, and the new guard would sit down for six hours. And they were going to keep an eye on Paul. Now, can you imagine if you were not a Christian being chained next to Paul for six hours as he wrote these letters? 
That's pretty wild. So here's what Paul does. Paul goes, I need to write this letter because I can't leave. I'm chained here. And I need, to, I need to explain what this spiritual war looks like. I need, I need them to get it because I don't want them to be fooled. I want them to keep on this awesome journey. I want them to know how these dark spirits are messing with them and trying to divide them and all this. And so Paul's sitting there with pen and paper at this desk, you guys. And he's like, how do I, how do I create this picture? How do I get them to get it? And he looks over at this Roman guard. You know, and this Roman guard's probably on his cell phone doing his thing. And, and Paul glances over, and this Roman guard, no doubt, probably glances back over like, what's this man looking at? And Paul starts looking at his helmet. He starts looking at his shield, which is laying on the ground. He starts looking at his little Roman sword that's tied to his belt. Then Paul's eyes move to the actual leather belt. And then he looks at the Roman soldier's sandals. And he's kind of looking the soldier up and down, and he goes, that's it. That's the picture. Puts his head back down, and he starts writing. You need to be like a Roman soldier, and you need to guard against these attacks, and it's like wearing armor. And he just paints this perfect picture of what it looks like for the spiritual world to try to mess with our minds and get us off track. Look at Ephesians 6.13. He goes, therefore... Verse 12, he goes, it's here. You're going to be challenged. Verse 13, therefore. Okay, if it's happening, what do we do? Verse 13, take up the whole armor of God. Like, just like a Roman soldier, you need to guard yourself. Well, how? And he goes, if you do this, you're going to be able to withstand in the evil day. Like, when it gets really bad on those days when you're really growing in Jesus, like, and you really get it, like, they're really coming and they're really digging in on that day, you're going to be able to make it if you do this. But here's what you got to do. You got to have, have done all to stand firm. You got to put it all on. Then he goes in verse 14, stand therefore, having, and then he goes into the different pieces of armor. And all I'm going to do in this series is explain to you what he means by these pieces of armor and teach you how to practically deal with any of these attacks on your minds so we can continue on and experience Jesus. So the armor is a simple analogy for guarding ourselves from the spiritual attack and how it works. Now look at the first part of verse 14. You guys still out there? Look at the first part of, of verse 14. He goes, stand therefore. Like, don't give way. You know, you think of the Roman soldiers as they would come together. He's like, don't give up any ground in your Christian walk, in your, in your joy in God. Don't give one inch to them. Stand therefore. How? Having fastened on the belt of truth. What does he mean by that? He goes like this. Guys, everything is connected to the belt, right? The sword, the supplies, like you tuck the robe in if you're a Roman soldier, like the belt's the key. He goes, the truth is the key, the truth, the truth. If you're gonna, if you're gonna fight and keep your mind going for God and keep going forward, it's gonna take this book. You're gonna need the truth, okay? Satan is the father of lies. Jesus said, the truth will set you free. Everything's connected to the belt. The attack is going to be based on lies. Lies are going to be lodged in your mind. The truth is going to fend it off. You're going to have to preach the truth against those lies. Well, what does the lie look like? Look at 614, second half. 
and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Ah, okay, now we're getting somewhere. What does it look like when, when I have spiritual forces try to jack John Marus up and get him off track because he's having miraculous answers to his prayers and he's finding people in his life that are pursuing Jesus in such a special way and miraculous things are happening between them. How is, how is this dark world gonna try to get me off track? The breastplate of righteousness. Paul tells us to guard our hearts. He says, you better guard your emotions, John. Why? Here's why. You guys, on your Christian journey, Monday and Tuesday and unemployment, and employment that you hate, and midterms, and breakups, and singleness, and 20-something, and retirement, on your Christian journey, as you try to do what God wants, you're going to fail God, yeah? Oh, man, everyone should be like, amen on that. We are going to fail God. And that's, that's the only opening that this dark world needs to get you out of the game is failure. Because what happens when you fail God? You know, you put in like three good days, right? And you're just like, yeah, man, read my Bible. I'm doing my thing. And uh, man, I went to a Bible study and, and I just feel real good. And then on that fourth day, you know, you're a little tired. Something doesn't happen. That's, that's right. And, and all of a sudden your emotions, you know, they start tweaking a little bit. And you, you go back to that old thing and you, you do what, you know, us Christians call sin. Like you just do the wrong thing. And you go, oh, my soul, I cannot believe I did that. What happens? Guilt. Guilt starts. Guilt. Write that word down. Guilt. That is all the spiritual forces need to take you out of this Christian game. In this Ephesians 2.10, you are built to do awesome things. Will disappear in your mind. All Satan needs is guilt. She's a, she's a cruel mistress, guilt. And it's so hard, guys, even as a pastor, when I have this walk with God and then I have one of those awful moments and I just feel sick inside. David says it's like your bones are rotten. And you're just like, man. And here's what guilt says. Guilt says this, you've worked so hard to build something up. You've worked so hard to get here with God. And guilt says, now it's lost. Now you're back at the beginning. And see, that's all this spiritual crazy war is about, is just finding a place to get you to fail and then dumping guilt into you. And we feel guilty that we did that thing and it's, it's shameful and it turns into shame after a while. And we begin, to, we, we begin to see it as an identity. That failure begins to be your identity. You just keep going back to it over and over. And you're like, man, maybe that's just me. And, you know, I get these people and they're like, dude, okay, you're a pastor, whatever. I could never be that. Not that you should be a pastor, but I could never, I don't know, I could never do that. And it's like, well, what do you mean? Man, you know, I just, I got these things in my life. That's what guilt wants. Satan wants us to be an identity for you. Just keep replaying. You know what you did. 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 Now go tell him about Jesus. You won't go near that person. Guilt destroys creativity as well. Guilt destroys personal development and growth. 
because you no longer see who you can be, only what you've done. We need freedom. We need, we need to know that we are under the blood every second, and we need to be able to rebound and dance with God and be as creative as possible to change this city, but guilt will destroy us, and that's all this spiritual world needs, just to watch you close enough, watch you fell, and say, man, you're gonna serve God? And guys, because we see ourselves constantly through these mistakes, so many of us just begin to give ourselves permission to do it again. Like, might as well. The damage is done, right? The damage is done. Like, that's a lie. That is such a lie. (laughs) Go talk to Peter. (laughs) Jesus is like, feed my sheep, man. No, Lord, I denied you. Feed my sheep. Go. Like, I, I, don't, I don't give second chances. I give infinite chances. But man, guilt is all that this demonic world needs. And that's what he's talking about. In verse 14, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, we better guard our hearts and remember that Jesus has made us righteous every second before the, before the Father. Like no matter what happens, no, 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 no. I am forgiven. I am loved always. I am a son of God. And that thing I did is erased. It's under the blood. And no matter what you keep telling me, like it is a lie. See, that's the battle. And I believe more more wonderful people are taken out of the game and never reach the creative, amazing level that God wants them to reach because they can't let go of things they've done, although Jesus Christ has put it under the blood. And when guilt hits, man, you, you, you won't move towards God. And here's why. Because if you fail again, you, you never want to go through that experience again. There are people who are out of church because they're like, I can't get over this thing. And if I walk back into church, it means I got to try to serve God again. And I'm terrified to go through the same process again. But that process doesn't exist in God's mind. So all the spiritual world needs to keep you from God is to watch you fail and make you feel like a hypocrite and to speak those messages into your mind that really, really? You're gonna serve God? You're gonna, you're gonna sing in a worship band? You're gonna go start that ministry in that city? Nah, you're dirty. That's exactly, exactly what these evil forces did in the Old Testament. Uh, The devil is called the accuser and the liar, the accuser and the liar. And what he lies about is that because you failed, God can't use you, and it's it's, it's just too bad. It's too gross. Guys, it's hard to dance with the devil on your back, isn't it? Hard to feel free when the devil's on your back. Hard to be free and creative and explosive and try things for God and enjoy God with the devil on your back. I was listening to this song and the lyric goes like this. Regrets collect like old friends. Regrets collect like old friends. Here to relive your darkest moments. I can see no way. And all the ghouls come out to play. That's it. Like, The moment I mess up, the regret hits, and yeah, it's like the ghouls come out to play with my head. Ah, John, look at what you've done. Pastor? Really? 
The lyric goes on to say, I've been a fool and I've been blind. I can never leave the past behind. I'm always dragging that horse around. Tonight, I'm going to bury that horse in the ground. You see, we just beat the dead horse and beat the dead horse. And the gospel says there's no horse. So how do we defend from those attacks, guys? Because on this journey, when we're on these highs, we're going to hit these lows. And i got to super hurry. We're going to hit these lows, and guilt is going to be played into our minds by this world we cannot see. Um, and we've got to guard our hearts and our emotions. We've got to put the breastplate of righteousness over our hearts. Here's what Paul is saying. You need to guard your heart when you fell that, no, you're not righteous, but Jesus is your righteousness. And whatever you've done, it is under the blood of Jesus. Your blood soaked. So how do we defend against these attacks? Look at Ephesians 6.14. Through the breastplate of righteousness, which is to say, guys, guard your hearts with the gospel. Remember when Francis Chan was preaching here on uh, Good Friday and he, he had that pin board? I don't know where he got that thing. It's like this pin board. And he's like, we're like a really cheap Kmart pin board. Like, you write these sins, and then you try to erase it, and you can still kind of see it. You know, that, that visual stuck with me. And that's what he's saying. Like, you got to guard your heart from going there, guys. And, and remember, guys, you're either trying to have a relationship with God through God's grace or through your goodness. Which one? And every time you, re you revert back to being good enough before God, to have a good relationship, all you're doing is empowering guilt instead of saying, I have a relationship with God not because I'm a good person, but I'm trying to become a better person. I have a relationship with God because what Jesus did. And no matter if I have a bad day, you cannot take that away because it's not dependent on my good works. Our relationship with God can never be altered if we are in Christ Jesus. And that thought needs to be guarded. Let me show you one amazing place in the, in the Bible. Go to 1 John chapter 2. And let's just crush this spiritual force. If anybody's battling it in this room, if anything's going on in the mind, let's just assault these assaults. You need to preach this to yourself if you're going to guard your hearts, if you're going to keep going in this Christian journey. And I'm telling you, God's kids, man, we're, we're getting strong. We're getting strong in the Lord. We're growing tough. We're growing big in Jesus. And, and man, there's a, there's a war going on because not, not everybody wants that. There are satanic forces that don't want that. And the moment you show that, that weak point, they're going to throw guilt into your mind because they don't want God's kids getting strong like this. And so we need to preach this to ourselves. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. Look at 1 John 2.1. My little children, I like that. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That's the goal, right? <laughs> but when you sin, <laughs> it's a journey. He goes like this. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Guys, when you fall low and that guilt is thrown into your mind, when those thoughts begin to wage war against your mind from the spiritual world, you remember this. You right now, in the lowest of times, have an advocate. You have a lawyer with the Father. And it's Jesus Christ, the righteous. He gets the title. Yeah, I'm not righteous in this moment. <laughs> I'm not doing good right now. But Jesus Christ, the righteous. Like he, he'll deal with it. 
He's going to make this happen. And so this is courtroom talk. Think about this. That word sin, it means to miss the mark. Even though you try, you're going to miss the mark at times. And that's when those thoughts are going to be lodged into your mind like, come on, you failed him. Come on, you failed him. You're not going to serve him. No, no, no. I've got an advocate. I've got to preach this to myself. I've got an advocate. And that literally means one called alongside to help like a lawyer. In other words, check this out, you guys. Here's what we need to preach to ourselves. Christ is defending me right now. And he's showing nail prints and blood stain. And saying, that, that one accepted me as Savior. I cover it. Christ is the lawyer. And if God is the judge, Christ, you want to talk about a rigged thing? Like, there's the judge and his son is defending me. He's got this thing wrapped. And then he goes on to do this. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. And let me tie this whole thing together. <laughs> this is like divinely rigged by God. Oh, you want to accuse me of my past? You want to accuse me of, of the things I'm going to do this week? You're going to keep me out of the same? No, no, no. Jesus is my lawyer. He's defending me. He says, I, I was good. I was righteous. So when he has a low point, nothing is lost. God still loves them. So he, think of a courtroom. And there's me sitting slumped with my head down low. And Jesus is defending me as the attorney. And he's speaking to the judge, which is God the Father. And all of a sudden, here's what happens. My attorney, Jesus, who's defending me and saying, no, you're not guilty. Remember what I did on the cross? You're not guilty. It's all covered. You're, nah, you're, you're, you're stuck in love. Sorry. You're going to get up and serve again. And he goes up, and he walks up to the judge's seat, and he puts on the judge's robe. The attorney. The attorney puts the judge's robe on, and he sits in the judge's seat, and he goes, well, verdict is not guilty. So how can Jesus be my attorney and also my judge? That's a rigged system. That's the gospel. 2 Timothy 4.1 I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ who is to judge the living and the dead. You tell yourself in those low points to defend from attacks on your minds that no, Jesus defends me and Jesus is my judge and he will never, never accuse me. He will never cast me away. I am firmly soaked in the blood that he spilled on Calvary and nothing can lessen God's love for me. Yes, I did this and I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna serve my God because nothing's been lost between me and God. So I say this, guys, spiritual war, spiritual war, it's all about this. Whose voice is loudest in your mind? God's voice or those other voices that tell you to stay down. Hear God's voice today. Get up. Fight. Do something beautiful for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. And if you're here and you're battling something, this, this is our time to be free. God wants to keep you down. Down in a place where you can pray to him. He doesn't want you trying to, to reach him through your good works. He wants you down trusting in Jesus. And if you're here today and you're in Christ, you're saved, and man, you just feel like something's been warring in your minds, guilt that you can't get over. Maybe it was 30 years ago. Maybe it was this morning. It very well could be this week. 
It's hard to dance with the devil on your back. And God wants you to dance. He wants you to be free. He wants you to be powerful. He wants you to do a great work. Let's preach the gospel to ourselves today. Jesus defends you. And Jesus judges you. And the verdict is already in. And the verdict is final. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And when you stand in that gospel truth, the hosts of hell will flee. There's nothing left for them to do. The gospel, the voice of God, destroys this evil realm. Set yourself free. Preach to yourself this morning. And if you're here and you've never met this amazing God, this amazing Father, maybe you've, you've filled your mind with all kinds of thoughts on why you can't. All kinds of thoughts why you, you can't become a Christian. Cast those lies away and come to the Father. He is willing that none should perish, but that all should turn from denying Him and turn to His love. Where you sit this morning, ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and save you. Come to the light. Open this amazing spiritual world where God and His love exists. Ask Him to forgive you and save you right now. And if you're here and you're a believer in Jesus, stand firm. Stand firm in the gospel. Friend, if you are preaching to yourself that Jesus loves you, that can never be lost. Jesus has already forgiven what you will do tomorrow and that can never be lost. What can stand against you? The only thing that this dark world can do is lie to you and cause you to question God's love for you. Fight that this morning and celebrate the gospel. Pray to him. Jeffrey's going to lead us in a song in just a minute, but pray to him.